Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 11925 kilohertz on the 25 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. Uh, and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa. SADC confirms its support for decolonization of Western Sahara and the Comores main opposition party rejects presidential election results. In economics news, Global Business Roundtable gets underway in Johannesburg and in sports news, South Africa's under-23 team beat Angola in AFCON qualifier. But first up the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. The head of the Algerian army has called for the country's president, Abdulaziz Bouteflika, to be removed from office. In a televised address, General Ahmed Khayyid Salah called for the application of an article in the Algerian constitution that allows for the post of president to be declared vacant if the office holder is unfit to rule. Everyone must be patriotic and put their narrow self-interests aside. They must put the country's interests above all else in order to find a solution to this crisis promptly, a solution sanctioned by the Constitution. The SADC region has confirmed its support for the decolonization of the occupied territory of the Western Sahara and for the holding of a referendum on self-determination for the Sahrawi people. The Southern African Regional Bloc hosted a solidarity conference with the people of Sahrawi Arab Democratic Republic in South Africa's capital Pretoria over the past two days. Reading out a raft of resolutions adopted by the conference, SADC Deputy Secretary Joseph Noras says that they want the AU and the UN to work together to find a lasting solution to the political impasse in the Sahel region. We affirm our solidarity with the people of Western Sahara towards their right to self-determination and declare that we remain unequivocally committed to the cause of the people of Western Sahara and therefore call for the unconditional implementation of all UN resolutions and AU decisions on Western Sahara, which will lead to a positive, peaceful and permanent solution that meets the aspiration and will of the people of Western Sahara. Call on the Kingdom of Morocco and the Polisario Front to engage faithfully in direct negotiations without preconditions. 
The president of South Africa's ruling ANC, Cyril Ramaphosa, says coalition governments do not work in the country as people say they do. He says instead they are a huge impediment to development, to governance and a huge frustration. Ramaphosa says if the ANC will win the May 8th elections with an outright majority, his party will not venture into any coalition. He spoke in Germiston, east of Johannesburg last night during a dialogue with the Hellenic community of Tembisa. Ramaphosa says the ANC is the way to go after the elections. Coalition governments don't work as well as people say they work. In fact, they are a huge impediment to development, to governance, and they are a huge frustration. And as for the ANC, we are going to win the election so decisively that we are not going to need to go into any coalition with anyone. The World Food Programme, WFP, says Cyclone Adar, which hit southern Africa, wiped out a whole year's worth of crops across swaths of Mozambique, Malawi and Zimbabwe. WFP's Executive Director, David Beasley, says the aid effort urgently needs funds to tackle what was going to be a long-lasting humanitarian crisis. Cyclone Adar destroyed tens of thousands of homes in Mozambique, where 1.8 more than 1.8 million people are in need of assistance. With fears of waterborne diseases, the World Health Organization says it's sending close to 900,000 doses of a cholera vaccine, which it expects to arrive within the next 10 days. And finally, leading healthcare organization, the Orium Institute, says the world should be outraged that an old disease like TB still claiming the lives of 1.6 million people worldwide each year. Group CEO of the Orium Institute, Professor Gavin Churchyard, says countries need to scale up efforts to fight TB and researchers need to come up with game-changing vaccines to defeat the disease. He was speaking at the launch of the Lancet Commission on TB Report at Timbisa Hospital in South Africa. Churchyard commended South Africa for reducing TB deaths from 78,010 years ago to 29,000 last year. However, he says progress has been slow. But we also need to express anger and outrage for what hasn't gone well. TB remains the leading cause of death from an infectious agent worldwide, and in South Africa is the leading cause of death of all forms of TB. 1.6 million people died of TB in 2017, and this outstrips HIV and malaria. Quality of care for TB is not adequate, and that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. The SADC region has confirmed its support for the decolonization of the occupied territory of the Western Sahara and for the holding of a referendum on self-determination for the Sahrawi people. The regional bloc hosted a solidarity conference with the people of Sahrawi 
Arab Democratic Republic in Pretoria over the past two days. The meeting was opened by South Africa's President Sil Ramaphosa and his Namibian counterpart and SADC chairperson Haig Gangob. It was attended by representatives from the over 40 countries, including Uganda's President Yoweri Museveni, Zimbabwe's Emerson Nagagwa, and former Nigeria's President Olusugan Obasanjo, as well as the President of the Western Sahara, Ibrahim Khali. Ndeba Mokobo has more. The Sadak Solidarity Conference with the people of Sahara was ended with the adoption of the declaration document aimed at expediting the resolution of the problem of Western Sahara. Reading out a raft of resolutions adopted by the conference, the SADC Deputy Secretary Joseph Norris says they want the AU and the UN to work together to find a lasting solution to the political impasse in the Sahel region. The conference has directed all multilateral bodies, especially the AU Peace and Security Council and the UN Security Council to treat the question of the Western Sahara with a sense of agency. We affirm our solidarity with the people of Western Sahara there is a right to self-determination and declare that we remain unequivocally committed to the cause of the people of Western Sahara and therefore call for the unconditional implementation of all UN resolutions and AU decisions on Western Sahara which will lead to a positive, peaceful and permanent solution that meets the aspiration and will of the people of Western Sahara. Call on the Kingdom of Morocco and the Polisario Front to engage faithfully in direct negotiations without preconditions. And speaking through an interpreter, the president of the Sahrawi Arab Democratic Republic, Brahim Kali, used the occasion to urge Africa and the world to ask Morocco to stop what he calls the illegal exploitation of the disputed territory's natural resources. He said after failed attempts to resolve their problem, they are now pinning their hopes on this gathering. It is vital that this conference comes out with a plan and a mechanism of follow-up within the solidarity with the Sahrawi Republic in order to culminate the efforts paid by the continent to eradicate once and for all the remnants of the colonialism and apartheid. The Sahrawi people assure you of the firm attachment to these rights and to the struggle through all legitimate means until the attainment of sovereign independent state. I don't see any 
tangible move towards trying to solve the problem, but it looks like they're trying to gain time. But, so if therefore there is one way to try to see whether Morocco is serious by coming to AU, then try them out. My point is that if Morocco is a member of AU, let's discuss in AU. Why do you need a delegation to go to Marrakesh or so on? President Genkop also said the AU must be allowed space to find solution to the Sahel region, saying it's an African problem that needs an African solution. And Africans, we said it's our problem. You cannot take over this issue and solve it at the UN level and leave Africa out. What is there to hide from Africans? It's their problem. Sahara is in Africa. We must guide United Nations. We must guide whoever. Guide whoever is trying to go and solve the problem. So I don't see any contradiction in that. We are not saying just declare independence. We are very reasonable. They are, even Saharis want to have referendum so that the people can determine their own future. Why should anybody be against that? SADC Solidarity Conference also called for the provision of health facilities and humanitarian assistance for the displaced people as well as an immediate end to the exploitation of natural resources of the Western Sahara. I am Tebumokobo in Pretoria. The Comoros election body declared President Azali Asumani re-elected on Tuesday in a single round after an election the opposition rejected as fraudulent. Opposition candidates say Sunday's vote was marred by irregularities, including a barring of independent monitors and marking of ballot papers before voting began, all of which the government denied. More from Abu Bakr Aboud, a spokesperson for the leading opposition, Jua Party. First of all, I want to let you know that for me, we cannot use the word election because there were no elections. Uh, once again, like what happened in uh, July, Colonel Azmani did not let the people express themselves. He decided that he had to win and that uh, he had to use all the powers he had to win. So there was no election. And the international community yesterday uh, spoke about it and said that they could not say that there had been a fair or a transparent election because there was no election. So now that the party clearly disregards the Sunday's elections, where does this put you as the Juma party? Well, we, we don't recognize, uh, well, we don't recognize what happened on Sunday and we don't recognize Colonel Azali and his regime any longer. So right now we realize that um, there's no government in Comoros and there's no president in Comoros. The fact is that we've seen the international community, we told them this, uh, we told them that they had to be aware what was going to happen because Azali never stopped saying it to us that he would win no matter what. So, But the international community once again did not intervene in time and now we have this situation that all the vast majority of the country does not recognize Azali as a president. So right now we have a, a bigger problem that we don't have a legitimate government nor a legitimate um, president in Comoros. So what would you like to see happening now that you don't recognize this past Sunday's elections? You also say that there isn't a legitimate government in place. What is it that you would like to see happen as the Jewel Party? Yeah, well, we would like the international community once again to intervene and to put in a 
transition that would lead to a free and democratic elections without Azali as president. Because we've seen every time Azali is in power, there's no democracy in this country. So we would like the international community to to organize new elections where the elections that people will believe in, They're not elections like Azali has made the, the last uh, for the last year. So should the international community heed to your call to reorganize the elections, what is it that should be taken into consideration in the backdrop that these past Sunday's elections, some observers were not allowed to monitor and observe the elections, such as the EU observers? How should they go about rectifying this so that if indeed the country does go back to elections, they're done in a satisfactory manner? Well, uh, first of all, I think that the fact that this regime did not want international community to observe the election shows that they didn't want any fair election. So, first of all, we would like uh, the international community to observe the election, to be there to help us and not let the army or a a single candidate um, control the whole process of these elections. That's the only way we can we can find a solution to this problem by giving the opposition their power to see what's happening during the process and not exclude the opposition and not use the armed forces to manipulate the results. That was Abu Bakr Aboud, spokesperson for Comor's leading opposition Jua Party, speaking to Ntlantlamatlao. Let's go back in time to today in 1994. South Africa is readmitted to the International Olympic Committee, IOC, on condition that it complies within 30 days to terms laid down by the IOC. The terms included the abolition of apartheid laws, the non-racial unification of sports bodies, and normalization of relations with sports bodies elsewhere in Africa. Today in History, 1994. A new scandal has come to haunt India's Prime Minister Narendra Modi and his BJP party ahead of elections next month. The government denies the charges which claim a party leader gifted millions of dollars in bribes to his national bosses to become chief minister of a southern Indian state. Rana Sen has more from New Delhi. Another day, another scandal. India's opposition Congress Party spokesman Randeep Singh Surjewala insisted on a probe into a report published in a national magazine last weekend. A courageous story has come in a news magazine. The diary has been released. Now it is for Prime Minister to come forward and point out whether 1800 crore of bribes were taken or not, whether the diary contains signature of Shri B.S. Yadurappa or not, whether this 1800 crore of bribes touching the highest echelons of power of the BJP reach them or not? That's nearly $270 million. And Yadurappa is a disgraced BJP leader. But Modi loyalist Deshraj Nigam argued a handwritten diary of the politician seized by taxmen was no proof. These are photocopies. You don't even know whether there is an original or these are fabricated documents. So before you proceed on the case, the authenticity of these documents have to be established. Therefore, 
nobody can rely on these documents at this stage because they could be fabricated it could be much more than that and coming near the elections this is clearly a case of influencing the election and these are income tax officers have already said these are fabricated and forged documents but legal expert sanjay jha insisted top bjp leaders have finally been caught with their hands in the till the photocopy happens from an original it happens from some document the question is whether it's an original or a photocopy there's a very serious allegation and if there is a minister in the government who has submitted uh, information whether it's an original or a photocopy how should it make a difference if the allegations or the evidence which is there in the document requires a serious criminal investigation so the truth of the matter is the finance ministry was actually obstructing an independent inquiry that should have happened in the normal parliamentary protocol yadurappa did become chief minister of bjp ruled karnataka state but then he soon went to prison for corruption analyst shikha mukherjee warned things were looking not too good for modi or his bjp party there are only two explanations on this fact that the finance ministry the finance minister chose to sleep over it is an indication that nobody wants to actually look at what is going on or it already knows the clock is ticking for indian elections to start on april 11th and politicians are flinging the wildest of charges at each other the truth is perhaps hidden somewhere in between for news break this is zana sen reporting from new delhi Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Again, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event. I just know that I need to arrive and and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. The United Nations Secretary-General Antonio Guterres says the global organization and its agencies are in a race against time to prevent the spread of potentially deadly diseases in the regions in southern Africa devastated by Cyclone Idai. But Guterres used the devastation in one of the poorest regions of the world to admonish political leaders who are not doing enough to mitigate the devastating impacts of climate change around the world. His comments come as the Paris Climate Change Commitment to ensure funding from wealthy governments to deliver $100 billion annually for poor countries by 2020 increasingly appears under threat. Sean Barspeace reports. The United Nations has issued a flash appeal of $282 million for Mozambique with similar appeals expected for Zimbabwe and Malawi in the days ahead after Cyclone Idai brought devastating consequences to a region vastly underprepared for its ferocity. Listen to UN Chief Antonio Guterres. This clearly demonstrates that we must be much more ambitious, both in mitigation, which means reduction of emissions, and it's not Malawi, Zimbabwe or Mozambique that are contributing to those emissions. Let's not forget that 80% of the uh, 
emissions that are relevant for climate change come from the G20 countries. So it is to the countries with larger economies that uh, falls the responsibility to really be able to reduce emissions uh, in a way that uh, allows for this phenomena not to go on being worse and worse and worse. Climate science warns that storms like Idai will become more powerful and frequent in the absence of ambitious targets to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, particularly by the most industrialized countries of the world, who pledged as far back as 2009 to mobilize $100 billion a year by 2020 to help the poorest countries with mitigation and adaptation. But the money has been slow to materialize. United States President Donald Trump, for example, cancelled $2 billion in aid promised to the Green Climate Fund by his predecessor, Barack Obama. We need to invest much more in adaptation, in supporting these countries to build resilience in relation to these kind of storms, to support these communities to build resilience in relation to these kind of storms. And uh, for that, it's absolutely essential that the commitments made in Paris, namely the 100 billion to support the developing world in relation to mitigation and adaptation, uh, are indeed uh, uh, fully implemented. With growing concerns that the progress being made on mitigation and adaptation is inadequate given the scale and urgency of the risks. The annual UN Intergovernmental Meeting on Climate Change in Poland last December failed to address how to lift government targets on reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Let's be clear, we are not winning this race. At the present level things will get worse and worse. We need to reverse this trend. And there is a huge responsibility in world political leaders to understand that we are not winning this race and that we need to substantially increase our ambition and that countries need to substantially increase the commitments made uh, in their national determined contributions when they will be reviewed in 2020. The official death toll in southern Africa has topped 750. Hundreds still missing, harvests lost, entire cities and villages destroyed, education curtailed, hundreds of thousands displaced, with a health crisis looming. That is what failure to slow the Earth's dangerous warming trajectory looks like. I'm Sherman Bricepees in New York. Democratic Republic of Congo's President Felix Tshisekedi says his government will strive to ensure that conflict in his country and in the region is over. President Tshisekedi was speaking in the Rwandan capital, Kigali, at the Africa Business Summit, dubbed CEO Forum. The DRC has for decades been a safe haven for regional armed groups, mainly from neighboring countries. Channel Africa's Silvanus Karamera reports from Kigali. This was during the interactive discussion in which both President Felix Tshisekedi and his host President Program of Rwanda were only the panelists answering questions from the audience. Questions revolved around the core reasons why Africans have failed to trade to each other, as it is the case with other foreign countries. We're talking about conflict, but before we, go in, we even go to conflict, it's very difficult to just cross from one border to another. I want to know what is their problem. Why aren't they ready <laughs> to start opening those borders? One, I want to see it as having problems which we must uh, try and uh, address simultaneously. Other than just saying, let's address one, then you move to another. 
the beauty of having such a multi-pronged approach is that we have seen already the, the, the people of any country in our region or beyond. The African people, for them, they are ahead of their leaders in terms of understanding the importance of uh, integration or even practicing it. Some of other attendees of this summit questioned when and how these discussions would provide solutions to the existing challenges in Africa. We can sign the treaties as much as we like, mm. but if we do not have a plan that is based on, by the way, Africa by 2025 will be sitting, we would have actually overtaken China, but we still don't have a plan to say how are we going to actually overtake some of those countries and plan for our people. Coming to the integration of Africa, if you look at the sector that I'm in, which is mining, Africa represents 80% of most commodities in the world. If you look at those specific commodities that are actually in steel making, which is used in infrastructure development, roads, ports, steel, uh, iron ore, the biggest assets, the biggest uh, assets in iron ore are in, in Africa. Africa. Yep. The biggest platinum, 80% is in Africa. Yeah. Manganese, 90%. Yeah. And I want to pick up on manganese because that's where I am. Mm. South Africa represents 80%. West Africa represents 11%. And therefore, jointly, in Africa, we represent 91%, 91%. of world reserves. But we still import steel yeah. when we shouldn't be. President Felix Tshisekedi of the DRC, whose country was referred to as a host of armed forces that accused of committing a number of atrocities both in the Congo and in the neighboring countries, said that these armed forces are no longer fighting for cause, but for gains. He stressed the need of regional efforts to flush out these groups because these countries will remain neighbors forever, despite the fact that much is required for Africans to deal with their own matters, the steps that have been made towards that should not be undermined. Je crois plutôt que les sous-régions aujourd'hui ont acquis ont acquis une It is evident that conflicts demean development in Africa. But going by three examples, the regional blocs have the capacity in solving conflicts. In my country DRC for example, with the support from regional countries, we were able to avoid conflicts just after recent elections. We have cases in West Africa and Southern Africa. Zimbabwe being the case. You see, I think we needed to accentuate the role of the region countries. Delegates believe this is a good news that, however, requires to be spiced up. At the end of this summit, a number of business contracts were signed, amounting to more than 700 million US dollars mainly in infrastructure and the finance sectors. Silvanus Kalemera reporting for Channel Africa in Kigali. Channel Africa. Kulta Njoy Addis Ababa. Silvanus Kalemera reporting for Channel Africa in Kigali. Africa, rise and shine. I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Jean Noel Bamwisi, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzeka. In Yawundi, informing the world about Africa. In Lesotho. And I am Dana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa. Our headlines up next, Sutan Musa.
A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headline SADC chairperson and Namibian president Hangeng Gengob says the AU must be given space to find solutions to the problems facing the continent. The head of the Algerian army calls for President Abdulaziz Bouteflika to be removed from office and aid workers in Yemen say an airstrike near hospital in the northwest of the country killed at least seven people, four of them children. Those are the stories making headlines. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. My name is Sipa Hot Sticks Mabuse, a South African musician and an African artist for that matter. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Pambi. My name is Yvonne Chaka Chaka from South Africa, but Africa is my home. You're listening to Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Habida, an African artist from Kenya, and you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's 8.35 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The commemoration of Human Rights Month concludes in South Africa this coming Sunday and we are joined on the line by Dr. Ina Khos, Senior Lecturer at the Department of Political Studies and Governance at the University of of the Free State to talk about human rights which many people say are being trampled upon by the likes of corruption, racism and femicide here in South Africa. Good morning Dr. Khos and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning. Now, what did you think of President Cyril Ramaphosa's uh, keynote address on Human Rights Day and some of the issues he touched on? 
Well, obviously, all the issues you touched on are, in, are prevalent at the moment, and people are very aware of them. Um, you know how it goes in life when when your rights are not being threatened, you hardly take notice, isn't it? And at the moment you see that they are being threatened, that you take note and you start asking questions. And I think many of the things you address are, of course, important. The whole idea of what human rights are, who is human rights. And I think what's missing, though, in my opinion, is the very big focus on tolerance knowing what your rights are, insisting on them, but not forgetting the person next to you. And I think that is something that we need to talk about more. Now, what do you make of sentiments that uh, citizens' human rights are being trampled upon by corruption, racism, and femicide, among others here in South Africa? Well, when you think about the basic human rights, a right to have a safe life, to have water, to have shelter, and the things that could have been done by now if it wasn't for looting and corruption. And then, of course, racism, people's very soul. Your very soul as a human being is being trampled on, um, you know, with racism and the, the violence of that in that sense. And it's being, um, it's, it's showing more and more. I don't know if, if there's more racism than ever, it's definitely more exposed than ever, which I think on the one hand is a good thing. How it's being addressed is now the other issue that we need to, to, to address. But that these things are being exposed and the hurt it caused, the violation of human rights it's caused, it's a good thing. And I think even though we make mistakes sometimes in addressing it, the fact that it is being addressed is a good thing. Your impressions of the work that's being done by Chapter 9 institutions in upholding the rights of South Africans? I think, you know, when it comes to certain, um, uh, many of these institutions are doing stellar jobs in, in, in you know, addressing these rights. But many for me are a bit quiet, um, only coming in after the fact. I think there's a more proactive approach that they, they need to to expose and to, to address, and um, and uh, there's a lot of questions about um, how they sustain their um, presence and if they are consistent, um, but that they are important and that we must protect these institutions and their capacity um, should go, you know, it's, it's a foregone conclusion. Do you think that people generally know their basic rights and what action they can take when they are infringed upon? Not enough, no. I think as South Africans are very much politically aware, but not always knowledgeable, and there's a difference. And I think people should really sit down and look at the preamble of the Constitution, look at Chapter 2 of the Constitution, know what your rights are, and then know how you can, um, the steps you can take when it's trampled upon. Uh, for instance, the Chapter 9 institutions, what are they, you know, their rights, what can they do for you um, constitutionally. So awareness is not the same as being knowledgeable, and I think we're lacking in that. Very quickly, Dr. Khos, uh, in terms of, you mentioned something very key, and that's the word tolerance, and I think it's a very, very, very powerful word. Do you think that this is something that can be taught from an early age of how young people can grow up 
with the mentality of being tolerant of one another and it, it filtering through to adults because issues of racism for instance um this is something that is learned it's not something that one is born with tolerance it must be taught it can be and it must be and you know this the whole idea of recognizing differences recognizing a lived experience that's different from yours it's good you must understand that from an early age and knowing that that difference doesn't make you uh, shouldn't make you hate another or trample upon the human rights. It can absolutely be taught. It must be taught from an early age. And as, you, as I said before, it's something that is lacking in our conversation. Politicians at this point, in my opinion, are exploiting these differences and not, you know, promoting tolerance. And as citizens, we must resist that. And we can do that. And our focus on young people should be that. Dr. Ghos, thank you so much for joining us. We'll leave it there for now. Thank you. That's Dr. Ina Ghos, Senior Lecturer at the University of the Free State in South Africa, joining us on the line. This is Channel Africa. South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Prosecutors in Chicago, Illinois, have dropped all charges against umpire actor Jesse Smollett for allegedly staging a racist and homophobic attack claiming to be a victim of a hate crime. The actor was indicted by a grand jury earlier this month for allegedly lying to Chicago police about the attack, who in turn charged him with 16 felonies, all of which now have been dismissed at the request of the prosecution. Show and Bryce Peace reports. In what can only be described as a stunning reversal, a statement from the state attorney's office said that after reviewing all of the facts and circumstances of the case, including Smollett's volunteer service in the community and an agreement that he forfeit his bond to the city of Chicago, quote, we believe this outcome is a just disposition and appropriate resolution to this case, close quotes. Smollett's bail was set at $100,000, of which he had to post 10% before his release from custody after his arraignment last month. It's unclear why the city would retain this amount, but Smollett maintains he's always told the truth. I've been truthful and consistent on every single level since day one. I would not be my mother's son if I was capable of one drop of what I have been accused of. This has been an incredibly difficult time, honestly one of the worst of my entire life. But I am a man of faith, and I am a man that has knowledge of my history and I would not bring my family, our lives or the movement through a fire like this. I just wouldn't. So I want to thank my legal counsel from the bottom of my heart and I would also like to thank the state of Illinois for attempting to do what's right. Now I'd like nothing more than to just get back to work and move on with my life but make no mistakes I will always continue to fight for the justice, equality and betterment of marginalized people everywhere. 
Smollett was charged in February with felony disorderly conduct for the alleged false report made to Chicago police on January 29th, in which he claimed to have been assaulted by two masked men who hurled racist and homophobic slurs in addition to pouring a chemical substance over him. Smollett's attorney, Patricia Brown-Holmes. We have nothing to say to the police department except to investigate charges uh, and not try their cases in the press, uh, but to allow matters to be uh, investigated, allow the state to investigate and to bring charges and not to jump ahead and uh, utilize the press uh, to convict people before they are tried in a court of law. Chicago police, who investigated the alleged attack, earlier slammed Smollett for dragging the city's reputation through the mud in what they described as a hoax. Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel, flanked by police leadership, reacted angrily to the judge's decision. Our officers did hard work day in and day out, countless hours, working to unwind what actually happened that night. The city saw its reputation dragged through the mud, but I remind everybody it was not just the officer's work. That work, a piece of that work, was shown to a grand jury, and they made a decision based on only a sliver of the evidence. Because of the judge's decision, none of that evidence will ever be made public. This is without a doubt a whitewash of justice and sends a clear message that if you're in a position of influence and power, You'll get treated one way. Leaving observers with more questions than answers, given the extraordinary turn of events. I'm Sherman Bryce-Pease in New York. Our economics update up next with Amanda Machaka. Good morning. Ethiopian Airlines has been named the African Champion of the Year at a prestigious business event in Rwanda. The airline was held for implementing an impressive expansion strategy that has enabled it to reach at least 40 countries on the continent. The airline CEO to Walter Gebremariam, who received the award at the seventh edition of the Africa CEO Forum, used the occasion to thank Africans all over the continent who have demonstrated their solidarity with the company following the tragic March 10 plane crash. Ethiopia Airlines currently flies to over 50 African cities in what is the largest network by a national carrier. It is also in talks to help about a dozen African countries to establish and manage their carriers. The 13th German African Energy Forum is to set the stage for German and Africa businesses as well as public enterprises to expand their economic ties, do deals, create jobs, combat energy poverty and use the German know-how to spur growth. The two-day forum that begins this morning is in Hamburg, Germany for a dialogue organized by the Afrika Verein Deduction Wish. Wittschaft, Africa's liquefied natural gas LNG production, is rising and said to change global energy dynamics. South Africa is on a path to be an LNG producer, while Congo, Cameroon, Tanzania, Equatorial Guinea, Ghana, 
Mozambique, Rwanda and Sudan continue to show progress as potential LNG powerhouses. German companies with the right technology have the immediate benefit of investing and executing contracts in power projects around Africa. The ninth annual Global Business Roundtable kicks off this morning in Johannesburg, South Africa. At the core of the event is the question of whether leaders from across sectors can impact investment opportunities towards creating sustainable global growth and resource distribution global trade. The theme of the three-day event is achieving sustainable global growth and even distribution of resources. The program lineup includes keynote speakers like South Africa's Minister of Small Business Development, Lindy Wezulu, and Ambassador Ben Mpoko of the Democratic Republic of Congo, among others. Event program director Roni Mulawitsi elaborates. So we're hosting our ninth um, annual World Congress from the 27th to the 29th of March, which is tomorrow until Friday. And it is a global trade investment summit that we host every year, which uh, brings together all our member countries from 82 countries uh, to South Africa to discuss, you know, top-level policy issues, practical, you know, business solutions and and other thought leadership um, items around uh, trade and investment. Economists expect interest rates to remain unchanged when the South African Reserve Bank announces its Monetary Policy Committee's decision this morning. The central bank is expected to adopt a cautionary stance amid signs of upward pressure on the inflation outlook. There are concerns that ESCOM's recent load shedding could put a further strain on the already weak economy. Currently, South Africa's repo rate stands at 6.75% and prime at 10.25%. Jeff Schultz is an economist with BNP Paribas. If you look at oil, global oil prices, if you look at the weakness in the currency, that there are some upside pressures to inflation building. Uh, this coupled with uh, an increasingly challenging uh, domestic growth outlook, uh, which I think is exacerbated by the load shedding that we've seen in the early parts of this year. In our financial indicators, the U.S. dollar is trading at 358.43 Nigerian Naira, 10.49 Botswana Pula, 100 Kenyan shilling, 23 cents, and at 12.02 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost 3.86 Brazilian Heyao, 64.21 Russian Ruble, 68.97 Indian Rupee, 6.71 Chinese Yuan, and 14.37 South African Rand. It's at 75 pence to the British pound and 88 cents to the euro. In commodities, gold is trading at $1,315 platinum at $860 per ounce, while the price of brain crude oil is at $68.15 a barrel. That's the latest business news. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. First in our sports update this hour, we begin with athletics. Athletics Kenya, AK, has reinstated the initial winners of the men's 5,000-meter race, Ruben Pohisho and Jacob Kiprop, to Team Kenya for the Confederations of Af- Africa's Athletics, the CAA Under-20 Championships, 
planned from the 13th to the 20th of April in Abidjan, Cote d'Ivoire. AK Youth Committee Chairman Banaba Korir described as erroneous and unfortunate the move that had Francis Lagarde and Victor Chepko Unyoi compete alone after they missed the initial final. In football news, the South African national under-23 team cruised to the third round of the African Cup of Nations, the AFCON under-23 qualifier, after beating Angola 3-0 in the second league played at Bidvest Vez Stadium in Johannesburg last night to win 6-1 on aggregate. Goals from Jamie Weber, Debo Homugwena and Luther Singh were enough to see off this clash. South Africa will now play Zimbabwe in the third round in June with the winner qualifying to the AFCON under-23 in Egypt in November. And the top three teams at the AFCON Under-23 qualify to the Tokyo Olympics in Japan next year. Owen Dagama took the 2015 generation to the Rio Olympics in 2016. And the umbrella organization representing more than 200 European clubs reiterated that its members would not take part in the FIFA's planned 2021 Club World Cup under the current circumstances. However, the European Club Association, the ECA, said it would contemplate changing its position if FIFA sat down and discussed changes to the international match calendar. ECA Chairman Andrea Agnelli confirms. We, as Europeans, UEFA or the ECA, have reiterated that we didn't want the proposal to be brought up at the, at the, at the Council in Miami. It was brought up. The position was, as it, stand to, as it stands today, and we as ECA clubs will confirm that, we are not willing to participate in this competition at this moment in time because of the congested calendar. In rugby news, South African rugby side, Shaq's fullback, Apelele Fasi, has adjusted quickly to Super Rugby since making his debut in the competition last month. It has only been a few months since the 20-year-old from King Williamstown in the Eastern Cape played his first Curry Cup game as the Sharks went on to win the competition last October. He returned from a three-week injury layoff last week to help the Sharks beat the Rebels at Kings Park in Durban. With 50 minutes under his belt, Farsi will be hoping to play an influential role when the Sharks host the Bulls this Saturday. Yeah, definitely it's a step up. You know, I wouldn't say the physicality and the speed, but it's just a step up, you know, playing the New Zealand teams, Australian teams, um, obviously playing... Um, yeah, it's definitely a step up when you play New Zealand teams and, and Australian teams. I'd say it's a, it's a different feel, different vibe, you know, because obviously it, you, you it, it, how can I put it, different country, different expectations that are expected when you play um, New Zealand and Australian teams. And finally, golf news, Rory McElroy insists he's not thinking about the chance to return to the world number one or the prospect of a last 16 clash with Tiger Woods at this week's WGC Dell Technologies match play. McElroy has arrived in Austin refreshed after taking a week off following his memorable win at the Players' Championship where his renewed attitude and calm mindset helped him to his first victory in 53 weeks. The 29-year-old could reclaim the world number one ranking for the first time since September 2015 if he lifts the title for the second time this week, while many are relishing the prospect of seeing McElroy take on Tiger Woods on Saturday morning if both can win their respective groups. That's your Sport News this hour.
Africa rise and shine Africa tsoka Africa amka na unai Recapping our top stories in Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Sadek confirms the support for decolonization of Western Sahara and Kamal's main opposition party rejects presidential election results. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuto Ramagadza and Komuto Mopulane, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.org, WhatsApp on 277-6300327 or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Are taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa is Yvonne Chaka Chaka with a song titled I'm in love with a DJ. This is your Rainbow Station, KMOD FM 95 out of Wichita, Kansas, where the man says it's going to be coming down all night. I hope you're warm and tight, honey. If you're feeling alone, baby, just get on the phone and talk to me. Just get on the phone, honey. He makes me feel so special and so close to me. Cheers me up, he makes me smile, he makes my life worthwhile. 